Father, thank you that there is one who is worthy. Jesus, the Lamb, the Root of David, the Lion of Judah, the Savior of the world, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, the author and finisher of our faith. Thank you. Receive the honor and glory, I pray, right now through how your word is taught and how your word is heard and how we respond. Show us Jesus. In his name I pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated and thank you team for leading us. Again, happy Mother's Day to all of, your, all of you mothers out there. And we're going to spend Mother's Day in Luke chapter 10. So Luke chapter 10 in your copies of God's Word this morning. Um, we're going to take a one-week break from our studies in the Gospel of Mark because it's Mother's Day. Now, let me just be open and honest with you this morning. Is that okay? Would you rather me not be open and honest with you? Um, Mother's Day sermons are hard for me. Uh, and so, full disclosure this morning, I am going to preach the same text I preached on Mother's Day two years ago, right here, behind this pulpit. Now, I'm doing that for two reasons. Number one, many of you weren't a part of our church two years ago, so this will all be new to you. And, and number two, none of you were here for Mother's Day 2020. Remember that? We were in the middle of the pandemic, so we weren't meeting, and none of you were here. I was preaching to that camera right there, and I hated every minute of it. So, let's just celebrate this morning that we're back together on this Mother's Day 2022, and let's revisit the story of Jesus with Mary and Martha. And I know for you ladies, this is your favorite text in the Bible, isn't it? Ah, come on. Many of you know this story, and you know that Martha gets a bit of a talking to from Jesus here, and you may be thinking, oh, great, Pastor Ken, thank you. You know, I work my fingers to the bone caring for my family, and now on Mother's Day, I get the Martha sermon. Hold on, I just want you to know that my aim this morning is to encourage you. Hang with me. Because I think that the point of this story is often missed. It, it isn't be a Mary instead of a Martha, like Martha's the bad girl here and Mary's the good girl. The point of the story isn't the sisters. The point of the story is the Savior. And he's enough. The point of the story is that, that, that being with Jesus propels our doing for Jesus. The point of the story is about prioritizing our worship of Jesus because that's what drives our work for Jesus. Jesus isn't saying here, Martha, don't serve me. He's saying, Martha, Martha, don't let your daily tasks and responsibilities crowd out your time with me. Because as I say in John 15 verse 5, Martha, without me, apart from me, you can do nothing, so stop trying. You know, that's something all of us need to hear, not just moms this morning. All of us, kids, young people, 
Now, I might get in trouble with your parents for saying this, but kids and young people, I need to tell you this this morning that there's something more important than good grades. College students, there's something more important than your career choice. Husbands and dads, there's something more important than making enough money so that your kids can have the iPhone 13 Pro Max, which is, by the way, if you don't know, the -the top-of-the-line iPhone. I Googled it this week. Singles, there's something more important than finding a spouse. There is something more important then all of those things, for all of us, it's our relationship with Jesus. That's the eternal thing. And that's what drives everything we are and everything we do. And let's see how that truth plays out in everyday life in a real-life home in the little hamlet of Bethany. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister named Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with, and I would ask you to underline or circle this word, with much serving. And she went up to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of our God. Okay, now, before we jump into the story here in in Luke 10, let's just notice that Luke puts this story in a very conspicuous place. Beginning in Luke 10, just look at your Bibles now for a moment. Beginning in Luke 10, Jesus does a whole lot of teaching, and he keeps on teaching all the way through Luke chapter 18. You can flip through those chapters. You're going to see a whole lot of red ink. And there's something to this. Luke wants us to get that when Jesus is teaching, we should be sitting at his feet listening. That's why this story is is kind of inserted right here in Luke 10, verses 38 through 42. And then Luke takes that truth. Listen, when Jesus is speaking, you sit at his feet listening, and he presses that truth into our hearts and into our lives with this surprising scene. Now, to us, it's probably not so surprising, but it would have been to people in Luke's day, because this story is all about Jesus and women. It all begins with Jesus entering a village there in verse 38. Now, Luke doesn't tell us that it's the village of Bethany, but we know from other scriptures that Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus live in Bethany. It's, just a, it's a tiny little hamlet just two miles west of Jerusalem. And as Jesus and his entourage are strolling through Main Street in Bethany, I can just imagine Martha, you know, she's looking out the kitchen window and she sees Jesus. And so she runs through the house, she flings open the front door, and she cries out, Jesus, Jesus, hold on. You didn't tell us you were coming by today. If we would have known, we would have had everything ready for you, perfectly planned and prepared. But hey, Jesus, hey, hey, it's okay. 
We love you. We care for you. We're always here for you, Jesus. You're always welcome. So, so Jesus, won't you come in? Won't you put your feet up and we'll cook something up for you real quick? Let me ask, you ever known anybody like Martha? Ever known anybody like that? I mean, they, they've got the gift of hospitality. They're always inviting. They're always serving. They're always welcoming. They have this God-given ability to make everybody who enters their home feel right at home. You know, mi casa es su casa. That's Martha. She's good at this. She loves Jesus, and so she welcomes Jesus. In fact, the Greek word here literally means to embrace or to entertain. I can just imagine Jesus coming in the front door, and Martha's like, yes, Jesus, give me a hug. Welcome. Glad to have you. Ladies, you're so good at hospitality. You're so good at welcoming um, men. We're not. We, we, we don't have this gift. I mean, we go to the front door, and if it's a guy, we just, we just open the door, give a few welcoming grunts, and then we say, hey, come check out my new recliner. If there's a knock on the door and it's a female, then we panic. We don't know what to do. And so we call out, honey, honey, somebody's here, and it's, it's a she. What, what do I do? Ladies, you know exactly what to do. That's God's work of grace evidenced in your life through your hospitality. You know how to make anyone feel at home in your home. And that's actually a picture of Jesus. Because remember, this scene isn't really about Martha or Mary. It's about Jesus. And notice that the parable of the Good Samaritan is what precedes this scene at Mary and Martha's house. Look at it in your Bible. And remember, as you look at that, that the the whole point of the parable of the Good Samaritan is to show compassion, especially to those who are marginalized and ostracized. And that's what Jesus is doing right here. Because when Jesus begins teaching, Mary begins sitting at Jesus' feet, listening. That's Jesus showing Good Samaritan kind of compassion Because in that culture and in that day, rabbis would not allow women to be their disciples and to sit at their feet. In that culture, women were considered second-class citizens. But they aren't that with Jesus. He is removing the cultural stigma from women by inviting them to sit at his feet and to learn from him and then to join him and follow him. In her book, Are Women Human?, Dorothy Sayers says this, In Jesus, we have finally found a man who neither flatters us nor patronizes us, but who respects us and loves us. Now, if I were a woman... There is a verse, a Bible verse, that I would not only underline in my Bible, but I would write it out on a three-by-five index card and tape it to the bathroom mirror as a reminder to my husband. In fact, I'm assuming that when my wife hears this beginning tomorrow, this will be true in our bathroom. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7. Notice how this verse ends. Woman is the glory of man. 
Now, ladies, I give you permission. I'm going to say that again. I give you permission to say amen. Are you ready? Woman is the glory of man. Oh, come on. I'm giving. I, I, I just lobbed you like a softball. We're going to try it one more time. It's Mother's Day. Let's hear you, okay? Um, woman is the glory of man. Amen. Amen. God created woman, not just from man, but after man. So you are the glory of man. Woman is the crown and the climax of all creation. Nothing is created after Eve. She is the finishing brushstroke on God's creative canvas. Wow. Guys, we need to get that. We need to love that. We need to celebrate that. Just like Jesus does here when he invites Mary to sit at his feet. Now, that's a phrase we don't use much anymore, right? I mean, when our girls come home from school we don't, and we ask them about their day, we don't ask them this way, how was school today? What did you learn sitting at Mrs. White's feet? So, if we were to take the concept here, and put it in today's language, we would say this, that that Mary is hanging on Jesus' every word. She's captivated, fascinated. She's drinking in everything Jesus is saying, and that's what we do when we open this book It's what we're doing right now. We're sitting at Jesus' feet. We're drinking in his words. We're on the edge of our seats. You know why? The Apostle Peter tells us why in in John 6, verse 68, where he says, Lord, where else are we going to go to get words like this? You have the words of eternal life. These aren't just black words on a white page. These aren't just words of life. These are the words of eternal life. Our very lives, every moment of every day, forever, hang on these words. Can I ask, is that the way we think about what we read and what we hear in this book? These are the words of eternal life. Do they captivate us? Do they fascinate us? Do we drink them in? I mean, when, with Mary here, when Jesus is speaking, nothing else matters. It doesn't matter if it's lunchtime. It doesn't matter if there's a basket of unfolded laundry over in the corner. It doesn't matter if there are dirty dishes in the sink. It doesn't even matter if the Apostle Peter is putting his feet up on the coffee table with dirty sandals on. It doesn't matter. Nothing else matters when Jesus is speaking because nothing else matters as much as Jesus speaking. Not even what's going on right now in Martha's kitchen. Because the whole time Jesus is teaching, Martha is serving. Now, 
What's interesting about the verb here is that it doesn't carry the idea of Martha being overwhelmed. So it isn't that, it isn't that the task is too much for Martha. It's that Martha is making too much of the task. She wants Jesus to know she's all in, and so she's going all out. She wants to hit this meal out of the park for Jesus. You see, it isn't really about what Jesus wants. It's much more about about what Martha wants. That's why she's distracted. It's verse 40. Notice that word, distracted. The Greek verb here... Distracted means to be pulled apart or to be dragged away. Now get this. There was a form of torture in the Middle Ages where they would tie a man's arms and his legs to four horses and then they would let the horses loose. Now doesn't that sound like fun? Do you know what the name of this torture was? Distraction. I kid you not. What a great picture of what's happening in the heart of Martha. She's being pulled apart and dragged away from Jesus. And it's not by a bad thing or a sinful thing, but by a good thing. She's showing hospitality. She is serving. She's doing it all for Jesus. But what, what's eating at her heart is that she's doing it alone. It's like she's the only one who really cares about Jesus. And that's why she's ticked. It's that Mary isn't helping. And so Martha, out in the kitchen, she begins sighing. You ever had that happen Somebody's out in the kitchen, and all of a sudden, there are sighs coming from the kitchen. There are sighs to send a message. And then, when the sighing doesn't work, Martha begins the eye-rolling. And every time she looks out into the front room and makes eye contact with Mary, there go the eye-rolls, exaggerated eye-rolls. And then when that doesn't work, it's the cabinet doors slamming. Those are all not-so-subtle messages for Mary to get off her rear end and come and help in the kitchen. But Mary doesn't move. And that just ticks off Martha even more. And so she storms into the front room and she steps, literally the Greek verb here literally means she steps between Mary and Jesus and she says, Lord, my sister isn't taking the hint. I'm the only one serving here, so tell Mary to help me. Now, we could talk about Martha demanding Jesus do something here. But I believe the biggie here is how Martha introduces her command. Lord, do you not care? 
Do you not care that I'm the only one serving here? Do you not care that I'm doing this alone? Lord, do you not care? It's one of those questions that as soon as it leaves your mouth, you're like, I can't believe I just said that. Does Jesus care? Yes, Jesus cares. That's why he responds so gently to Martha with these words, Martha, Martha. You see the tenderness? You hear the tenderness here, the compassion here? Yes, Martha, I care. I care more deeply for you than you will ever know. I care that you're anxious and distracted. I care that you're troubled because I care more about your soul than I do your lunch. Martha, Martha, there's something I want more than your striving and your serving. Martha, I want your heart. And to prove that, I won't just teach you. I won't just sit down and have lunch with you. I'll die for you. I'll carry an old rugged cross up a hill and then be nailed to it for you. I will cry out, Martha, it is finished from that cross and I'll cry it out for you. I will face the Father's wrath being poured out on me and I will die under the weight of all your sin and I'll do all of it, every step of the way, every pounding of the nails, every stick of the spear. And I will do all of it for you, Martha. For you. So yes, Martha, yes. Yes, I care. Do you believe that? Do you believe that for you? Do you believe that Jesus cares for you? Do you believe that nobody cares for you as deeply as he does? That nobody loves you more than he does? That nobody would give you, could give you any more than he does? Do you believe that for you? Because Jesus says in John 10 verse 11, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Do you see the goodness of Jesus? Do you see the compassion of Jesus? Do you hear from his lips his mercy directed at Martha? And do you see Jesus hanging there on a cross, the sinless one, in the place of Martha and Ken and you, if you will trust him? Because the Bible says that if you will believe in your heart, confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Would you trust him? goodness of Jesus shown in a living room 
in Bethany, but proven on a cross at Calvary. Come to Jesus and be saved. And when you know the Jesus who cares here, you have someone who then invites you to find mercy by rolling your everyday cares on him. It's 1 Peter 5 verse 7. Casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Everything, all your anxieties, all your distractions, all your cares, all your troubles. Why? Because he cares for you. Listen, Jesus knows how how easily everyday tasks can consume us. Moms, Jesus knows that when you lay your head on the pillow at night, there are things you did not get done. He knows your daughter's homework isn't finished. He knows there's toothpaste streaks running down the bathroom mirror. He knows your son's bleeding toenail Your son's torn up toenail is bleeding through the band-aid and staining the sheets. He knows all of that. And he cares about all of that. And so he says here, Martha, Martha, know that I'm being tempted in every way like you are. I know busyness. I know distraction. I even know frustration. Martha, I know and I care. It's also deeply personal. Not just between Jesus and Martha, but between Jesus and us. Let's take these truths and let's apply them to where we live, to our living rooms and to our neighborhoods and to our workplaces and to our church, to our schedules and to our tasks and our responsibilities. It's Jesus and us. So what's here for us to take away? Let me give you three takeaways this morning. First, if we're going to learn what Jesus is teaching here, we've got to identify our distractions. You see, Martha isn't the only one who struggles with distractions. In fact, we live in the most distracted generation in history. Just this past Thursday morning, I was driving to the church here at 7.30 in the morning. I have my girls with me, bringing them to school. And a bicyclist pulls out onto Higgins with his face buried in his cell phone. Now, driving while looking at your cell phone is dangerous. Walking while looking at your cell phone is dangerous. But bicycling on Higgins with your face in your cell phone, that's just stupid The next time you're at a restaurant, which is for many of us today since it's Mother's Day, next time you're at a ball game, the next time you're at church, just look around and see how many people are staring into a screen on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or Wordle. The average person spends nearly five hours a day on their phone or 80 days a year. Some of you are thinking, I'm glad you picked this one because I'm technologically illiterate. It doesn't apply to me. But hold on, that's not the only distraction we face. Because there are lots of things here that make us anxious and troubled. And notice in verse 41 that that's how Jesus defines distractions. So let me ask, what things make you anxious 
and troubled. What do you think about when you're not thinking about anything in particular? What consumes your thoughts in your downtime and at nighttime? They can be good things. They can be even be righteous things like cooking for Jesus. But those things are all lesser things because they aren't the main thing. Jesus is. Your relationship with him is the one thing that cannot be taken away from you. It's the one thing you cannot lose. So as you identify your distractions, number two, take the long view on life. Life is about so much more than meals and ball games and grades and scholarships and promotions and paychecks. I'll never forget my parents waking us boys up at 6 a.m. one morning after receiving a phone call from a family in our church whose home was on fire. We could see the fire's orange glow from our front window four miles away. And their home burned to the ground. As they stood there watching everything they owned turn into ashes, there are a few things they weren't saying. They weren't saying, if only we would have cleaned the house one last time or folded that last load of laundry before bed last night or installed those marble countertops. Listen, it can all be gone in an instant. So invest yourself first in your relationship with Jesus because that's the one thing you cannot lose. It's John chapter 10 where Jesus says that as a blood-bought, Holy Spirit-sealed follower of Jesus, nobody can snatch you out of his hand. That relationship is the one and only thing you cannot lose. So carve out time to sit at Jesus' feet. Build that relationship. Cultivate that relationship. Love that relationship. Immerse yourself in that relationship in and through his word. Sit with his people right here on Sundays and Wednesdays. You don't just need it. Your soul will shrivel up and die without it. Each Mother's Day, my mind goes back to 220 Wagoner Street in Adrian, Missouri to a small 1,100-square-foot, three-bedroom ranch home that serves as the parsonage for Calvary Baptist Church. That's where my two brothers and I grew up. That's where Mom made our house a home. That's where she cooked for us and read to us and cared for us. But every Mother's Day, my mind goes back to Mom praying for us. Day after day at 7, 10 a.m., I would make my way from my bedroom to the bathroom to shower before school. I would catch a glimpse of mom out in the living room sitting there with her Bible open at the feet of Jesus. I tell you this a lot. You know this story if you've been around. But I stand before you today and I say that one of the big reasons I love my wife, the mother of my children, and one of the big reasons I love my children, and one of the big reasons I stand behind this pulpit today 
is because Jesus knew and Jesus cared and Jesus heard the prayers of my mom as she sat at his feet. That's the one thing that is necessary. That's the good portion. All the meals, all the lunches mom cooked for us, they're long gone. All the clothes she washed and folded, they're all buried in some landfill somewhere. All the baseball and basketball and football games she attended, those are all just memories now. But mom sitting at the feet of Jesus, that will never be taken away from her. That lives on forever. So as my mom's son, I plead with you, moms, take the long view of life and do not underestimate the eternal impact of time at the feet of Jesus where you will learn to thirdly focus on being and then on doing. You see, it isn't that serving Jesus isn't important. It's that sitting at the feet of Jesus is most important. And when we invert those, we find, when we find our identity and what we do for Jesus rather than who we are in Jesus, it inevitably, inevitably becomes all about us and what we're doing and what others aren't doing. And when that's the case... There is one thing everything we're doing isn't about. It isn't about Jesus. And that's why Martha's issue isn't a kitchen issue. It's a heart issue. Jesus wants our hands, but not without our hearts. So delight in him first and then do for him. And so on this Mother's Day, as I conclude, I want to encourage our church's children Listen, show your mom how much you love her by giving her time and space to sit at Jesus' feet. Take some things off her plate. You serve her, not just today, every day. Husbands, do whatever it takes to ensure that your wife has the time and energy to invest in her relationship with Christ. The best Mother's Day gift that any of us can give is the one that she will take into eternity. It's time. Time at the nail-scarred feet of Jesus, the one who loves her and has given himself up for her. Now, guys, to be that kind of husband, we're going to have to identify our distractions and we're going to have to take the long view of life, and we're going to have to focus first on being with Jesus and then doing for Jesus. But I say to all of us, remember the song we sing. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials and troubles and distractions and discouragements It will be worth it all. When we see Jesus, life's trials will seem so small. When we see Christ, one glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow, all sadness, it will erase. So bravely run that race with Christ until we see Christ.
Amen. Father, may you take your words and accomplish your purposes for the glory of your name and for the good of your people. And so can I ask, are you a follower of Jesus? By grace alone, through faith alone, have you trusted in him alone? He is good. See his goodness. Embrace his goodness. And believe on him. Repenting of your sins and turning to him and and saving faith. Would you come to Jesus now? Right where you are. Trust him. And Christian, can I ask, is is it more about what you're doing for Jesus than what Jesus has done for you? That's a quick trip to burnout, to a shriveled soul. Oh, would you sit at his feet? Would you be with him? And then do for him. Lord, help us to get the order right there. And to be before we do, to sit and to learn and to cultivate that relationship with you before we go out into the world for you. In Jesus' name, amen.